Good morning. morning. Thanks, Art. Our reading this morning is taken from Psalm 65, 9. Just keep going. Okay. And it is found on page 480 in the Black Bibles, which are found by the door in the bookcase, Psalm 65. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. The word of the Lord. So we had been in a series on the book of Ephesians for months now, but we are headed into something different, something new, something I have never done before, a series on money. And we need to pray before we do it. So let's, let's get to it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your uh, great mercy. We love you. We know that you have us here for a reason. Uh, you uh, gave your prophets, you gave your apostles, you gave Jesus Christ to come down and reveal to us that we need to think and talk and repent over our use of money. God, would you help us? For many, this is a struggle. For many, this is a source of pain. But you have something good for us. You have something good prepared as we go into this difficult subject. Would you help us by your great spirit? He longs to show us again Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. And we, we may know him and become like him. We are becoming new people in Jesus Christ. Help us to do that more this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. So a few years ago, a pastor uh, decided to do a series of sermons on the seven deadly sins. Each sermon would cover a different deadly sin. You know what those are. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. And his wife, upon hearing this, that he was going to do this, she said to him, I know which sermon will have the lowest attendance. And he was sure that she was going to say lust or gluttony or something like that. Greed, she said. No one wants to talk about money or even hear the sin of greed talked about. And she was right. Of all the sermons, the fewest number of people came to hear him preach about greed, about money, about our problems with money and possessions. Now, this was borne out, this was, re- this was reflected in a, in a recent survey that was done, a scientific survey, survey. A company asked the question, what topic was the hardest to talk about? Of all the topics that you can think of, which one is the most difficult to talk, the most uncomfortable to discuss? And to their surprise, money was at the top of the list. More than even the things our grandmothers told us to never talk about in public. Politics and religion. More even than the terrifying existential problem of death. Money was at the top of the list way above anything else. Money is hard to talk about. Why? 
Why do we fear talking about money? And I think the answer, just to get right to the heart of it, is that it has to do with our hearts. Our hearts are tied very closely to our money, to our treasures, our possessions. Remember what Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We fear talking about money. We fear having our possible greed uncovered and dealt with. Because our money is tied so closely into who we are. How we think about money. How we spend money reveals our identities. How we stress over, pine after. How we spend and hoard and give. It tells our story. I am no different. And you want to see me squirm? Ask me about how saving for retirement is going. Can't we talk about lust instead? (laughs) Jesus knew this was going to be a problem for us. He knew it. And so he talked about it constantly. In fact, Jesus talked about money and possessions more than anything else. More than heaven and hell combined. He knew He knew that our money would give us issues. He knew that our money, if not handled wisely, if not dealt with righteously, if not held on too loosely, could kill us. Why? Because he knew that our money could be the thing to sever our relationship off from him. On the other hand, If we can get this right, if we can learn to use money well and become radically generous, and I mean that radically generous, then we will find a freedom few have experienced on this earth. And so we are entering into four weeks of talking about money and possession. I know that's a lot, but I want to hit this head on. I said a long time ago that I was never going to avoid this issue, and so I want to do that. I want to hit it with four weeks, giving, generosity, money, and possessions. I hope to answer a lot of questions, biblical questions, practical life questions. How much should we give? Should we tie? There is that legalism. How much should we save, if at all? Can, how do we enjoy things on this planet? What are the best ways to become generous givers? But this morning I want to begin at the foundation, at the source, with God Himself. I think that in order to understand giving and to relate to money well, we must see Him first as the generous giver, as the generous provider. To know this, to know why he gives so generously, so profusely, will not only radically change our giving, how we give, but I hope bring us incredible joy. So let's get to work this morning. We are in Psalm 65, and here are your three points. One, God is the generous giver. Two, God is the owner giver. And three, God is the only life Giver. So one, God is the generous giver. God is the generous giver. So at least at this point in the psalm, at, at verse 9, it is a praise, it is a shout of thanksgiving at what? At the generosity of God. The psalmist is crying out, he is giving thanks for God's foundational charity and assistance. I'm using that word very specifically. He is thanking God for foundationally blessing him. 
Apart from God's kindness and generosity, he knows that no one would survive. And so he is thankful. Listen to verse 9. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain. For so you have prepared it. He sees it. He sees every part. God has prepared his life. The foundations of his physical existence. The psalmist lived at a different time than we did, obviously. He lived in a time where he saw every part of farming. He knew every part of where his food came from. From the seed and the ground, the soil, the animals that worked the ground the rain and the sun that would come to nourish the ground and bring forth the harvest. And he knew that this foundation, though, was God. It was God who was providing what they needed. Yes, the farmer tilled the ground. Yes, he planted the seeds. But apart from God's care to water the earth, to bring the rich and consistent rains, he knew that he and his kin would have died. This was their constant reality. And so when they could see God providing for him, they thanked him for it. They thanked him for every seed, every drop of rain, every harvest. God's generosity was foundational to their lives. And I'll tell you what, this is much harder for us today. It is much harder because we are disconnected from the foundations of our physical existence. We do not know where our food comes from half the time. Well, as it turns out, kids have no idea where it comes from. So a poll was taken by the British Nutrition Foundation a couple years ago. They questioned 2,700 kids in the UK, ages 5 to 16, about the origins of food, right? Almost a third of the kids believed that cheese was made from plants. A quarter believed that fish sticks came from chicken or pigs. Nearly one in ten thought that tomatoes grew underground. And listen to this. A third of the five to eight-year-olds believed that bread and pasta was made from meat. That's gross. Or awesome, if you think about it. We don't see the foundations of God's providence, of His kindness, of His care. We don't see him caring for us. We go to the grocery store. It's all nice and neatly laid out, perfectly butchered portions of meat. Perfect packaging. You do not need to know where your food comes from to enjoy. But the psalmist lived in a different time. He not only saw the hand of God working, but cherished it and was amazed by it. Verse 10, You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. God's generosity was foundational for life. And we must ask, is God's generosity foundational for our lives as well? Just look at how his generosity unfolds. It's not just that he provides, but how he does so. God doesn't just provide, but he provides in amazing ways, indiscriminate ways. His generosity is complex. His liberality is comprehensive. Verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness, they overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with the flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing for joy. 
God provides what we need in amazing and varied ways. He is always caring for us, often in, de- often in ways and to degrees that we do not expect. My favorite verse in this whole passage comes at verse 11. Read it. You crown the year with your bounty. Now listen, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Now what does that mean? The NLT translates it this way. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. So listen to what he's saying. He's saying when the wagons would go over the land, either to farm or just to travel, the wheel tracks would push the ground down and make them incredibly hard. This is saying that God provides even in those hard places, not just in the fertile soil of the farm, even in the hard ground pressed underneath by that wagon wheel. God is amazing. He provides. He grows where things should not grow. He liberally spreads out his provision to his people where they should have none. And this is a reflection of his very character, isn't it? He gives like this because he loves to. Generosity is the overflow of his love. His love for his people, it overflows into generosity. He cannot help but provide profusely and abundantly. He cannot help but shower his people in varied, comprehensive, complex ways. He is the life-giving, life-sustaining, life-joying God. My favorite commentator says that God's generosity has resulted in a partying earth. This is how he says it. The whole land has turned out in its best as if to sing and keep festival. Is that your God? Now, I just want you to see one more thing. I want you to see that God provides what we need when we need it. God provides what we need when we need it. Verse 11 again. You crown the year with your bounty. So I think that the psalmist is doing something that is hard for us to do, does not come naturally for us to do. Because he's looking at things objectively and patiently. He sees God's work according to a farming timeline. At the end of the year, when the harvest comes, that's when he can look back and see how God has worked in his life, in the life of his family, in the life of his people. Farming is slow, deliberate, and purposeful. There are times when there is drought. There are times when there is rain. There are moments when you are unsure that the harvest will reap anything. There are moments when you cannot have, you do not have enough storage to store all that is provided. And we are not farmers. We are microwavers. We do not like things to take time. We do not like to wait for God's blessing to come. It's now or never, God. It's now or never. A Kansas farmer was talking about the difference between city folk and farming folk. This is what he said. Most city folk I know expect each year to be better than the last. They think it's normal to get an annual raise, to earn more this year than you did last year. As a farmer, I have good years and bad years. It all depends on the rain at the right time. Dry days for a harvest. And no damaging storms. Some years we have more. Some years we have less. 
We have a hard time taking that perspective today, don't we? We expect God to jump when we say jump. We expect raises. We expect promotions. We expect new and better homes. We expect marriages. We expect babies now, on the spot. But God provides according to his timeline. His generosity is spread out. He gives us what we need when we need it. And I actually think that that is generosity in and of itself. He does not give us everything that we could ask for that would kill us. And often we need the droughts to be thankful for the rains. No, make no mistake, God is always working. Know that, friends, that God is always working. He is always providing. Even when we are not getting exactly what we want when we want it, He is always giving us something good. Take five minutes today, maybe go to a piece of paper and write down all the things, all the ways God has provided for you in your life. All the ways He has been richly generous to you. Even in our lowest moments, we have reasons to be thankful. Now, I experienced this firsthand last week. Everyone knows that I wasn't here last week because I had a kidney stone. I don't know how to describe the pain, except that when I do describe it, I describe the kidney stone as my death stone. And yet, even in my pain, in the worst of my pain, God opened my eyes. And he showed me his generosity. He showed me the gifts that he was giving, even as I was in agony. A kind and caring wife. Proactive, hard-working doctors. Pain meds. God is the generous giver. And ask yourself, is this how you know him? Is he your generous provider? Point two, God is the owner giver. God is the owner giver. Verse nine again, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. And I want to ask this question and answer it in this point. How can God be generous? How can God provide all that we need? It's not just simply that his heart wants to. It's that he is able to. He is able to provide whatever we need. And he is able because he is infinitely powerful and full. He is able to provide because he is the owner Giver, verse 9, one more time. You visit the earth and water, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. So this is not just saying that God provides the water. It's saying that the water comes from him. It is almost like it's saying that he is the water. And it's not. God is not a pantheist to God. He's not in nature. He provides what we need. It comes from his own bounty. The river of God. The river of God is full and plentiful. It's so important that he uses that word river. He is not an aquifer that dries up. He is not a lake that can run out. He is not a, a, a well that gets all used up. He is a river with no end. He is a river that never stops producing. Everything good comes from God because he is the owner. Everything emanates from him because he is creator and sustainer. Colossians 1, 16-17. For by Him, this is Jesus, for by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And then verse 17 right after that says that He's not only the Creator, but the Sustainer. And Jesus is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. God is creator, he is sustainer, and this means that he is owner. Listen, friends, everything is God's. You must see him as the owner giver. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Deuteronomy 10, 14, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Leviticus 25 is more specific. The land is mine, and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. He owns the land. Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Psalm 50. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Job 41 sums this up. This is the Lord speaking. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole domain of heaven is mine. Friends, is that your God? Does your heart reflect this truth? Does your lifestyle and attitude and pocketbook reflect this reality? Abraham Kuyper, the theologian, said once that there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. For God to be the generous giver, He must be the owner giver. Everything good comes from Him, for all is owned by Him. And now listen very closely to this, including us. God is our creator and sustainer. He is our owner. Psalm 100, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. When Paul was speaking to the philosophers on Mars Hill, he said this, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind and life and breath And everything. Life and breath and everything. He gives it all. And so, do you know what this includes? This includes not just our, the things that we have, our money and possessions, but our very ability to get those things. Our very ability to do work and make money. Deuteronomy 8, 17-18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to produce your wealth. God is the God over our ingenuity and tenacity and discipline. He is God over the family we were born into, the business connections that we stumble into, the breaks we receive in college and the workforce, the spouse we marry, the opportunities we create and take advantage of, the very state of the economy. All is God's. When John Wesley, the famous preacher, his house burned to the ground and someone from the town came running up to him and said, John, your house is burned down. And reportedly he said, no. 
the Lord's house has burned to the ground. God has created us. God sustains us in everything. But I just want you to hear one more thing. God has further purchased us. He has purchased us. We are now his forever because Christ was generous with his very blood. 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God is the wonderfully generous giver because he is the owner of all. Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Is that your God? Last point this morning. God is the only life giver. So we've seen two things this morning. That God is the supreme owner of all things. All good things flow from his capacity. And then out of this capacity, out of his heart, flows his generosity. He cannot help but shower his children with his wonderful gifts and care. Do you remember how Jesus put it in the Beatitudes? He said this, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God longs to provide what we need. And now I just want to ask this question, why? Why does God want to provide us with all of these things? Why does he want to provide us with his generosity? Yes, that is his heart, but there is a deeper reason. And it's something that should come into us and make us change. And it will connect our money to the Lord. It will connect our possessions to the Lord. Why is God generous with us? And we find it in 2 Corinthians 9. Listen closely. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to... Now what is he going to say? God is generous to us so that, what is he going to say? Why does he provide for us so richly in material goods, in spiritual health? And here's Paul's answer. We must let it radically affect our lives, how we relate to money. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And listen to the logic there. God, out of his generosity, blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others in order to stir up in others and in our own hearts thanksgiving to God. God's generosity flows to us so that we can be generous, but our generosity to others comes back to us by deepening and enriching our connection with Him. God gives to us materially, and then we give to others materially. But then what comes back to others and to us is joy and contentment in Christ. God gives so that we ultimately may get Him. He only gives so that we will find our ultimate enjoyment in Him. 
Friends, that is far greater than jewelry or stock options or sports cars. The joy and thanksgiving in the Lord, the only giver of life, is far greater than bonus checks or great homes or lavish retirements. When we sacrifice our money and possessions, when we are generous with others, we are not actually sacrificing at all. Our giving is our gain, and our gain is the Lord. John Piper says this, God is a mountain spring, not a watering trough. A mountain spring is, a self-replenish, is self-replenishing. It constantly overflows and supplies others. But a watering trough needs to be filled with a pump or a bucket brigade. If you want to glorify the worth of a watering trough, you work hard to keep it full and useful. But if you want to glorify the worth of a spring, you do it by getting on your hands and knees and drinking to your heart's satisfaction until you have the refreshment and strength to go back down into the valley and give and tell people what you have found. He says, my hope as a desperate sinner hangs on this biblical truth that God is the kind of God who will be pleased with the one thing I have to offer, my thirst. And then I would add on top of that, our giving. From the flow of God's generosity comes the flow of ours to others that we may truly find God. Think about it this way. From the moment human begins to work the ground, they were commanded to give. They were commanded to offer the first fruits of their labors back to God. They would take the best of their, their fruits and grains and animals, and they would bring them back to the Lord for sacrifice. And my question is, why? Why is that? Is it because the Lord needs it? Well, He gives, so He needs us to give back to Him. I think that we have proven today that that is not true. God does not need us. He is not served by human hands. So why would He ask us to give? Why does he ask us to give the very first of our bounty? It is so that we will learn to trust on him and lean on him and not ourselves. His command to be generous is generous in itself. He knows what we need. He knows that we need to be generous with what we have earned. And so friends, when we give, when we are generous, We are doing something very specific. We are severing our idolatrous relationship to our money. When we give, we are putting our hope and our trust in Him. When we give, we are aligning ourselves with His heart and mission to give for the thankfulness of others. When we give, we enter into the deep and happy waters of thanksgiving to God. Friends, ultimately, giving is not sacrifice. It is our joy. So in these next several weeks, I want you to think deeply. I want you to think deeply about how your money and possessions are connected to your relationship with the Lord. Martin Luther said famously that the last thing to be converted in our life is our pocketbook. I think he might be right. Ask yourself if it is true for you. Is there a freedom awaiting you? Is there a new level of generosity that will change your life for the good? And I'm going to take kind of a left turn here. And I'm going to, I want to share with you why this is coming up right now. Why we kind of stopped dead in the middle of Ephesians and we are taking this on right now. And the, the basic answer is that we have work to do. 
why we're bringing up money right now, why we're going to spend so much time in it is that we have work to do and we need to get to the next level. Grace Point was planted with the mission to bring the gospel to an area where few churches existed, where the gospel was not being preached to the degree that it should. Now, we have made great strides in doing this and reaching into our communities and trying to provide the gospel for those who need it. But our work is not done. Our work is just beginning, and it must increase. I believe that there are great things in store for this people. There are great things in store for what we can do for the kingdom here in North Andover, in the Merrimack Valley, in southern New Hampshire. But to do those things well, and I'm going to say this boldly, will require an increase in our generosity. Across the board, for the sake of the gospel, we must reach a new level of giving. Now, there's something very specific, though, that's happened that's leading me to do this. It's leading me to talk about this. And it's some exciting news. It's good news. Some of you may already know. So we began praying as a church for a long-term facility for Grace Point more than 10 years ago. We were planted out of Grace Chapel, and we moved immediately into the Greater Lawrence Technical School. And we were there for a long time, and it served us well. Uh, but we eventually had to move out, and it was kind of a cold water. I was, it was my second week as interim lead pastor, and I got a call saying, you've got to move out. Are you joking? Okay. We prayed, and God provided this place. It was by his providence and his care that he gave us this place. But we had to keep on praying because we knew that this was a short-term solution. We didn't know where we could go after this. We actually tried to buy this place, this land, but we were ultimately denied. And so we were back to the drawing board. And so again, for the last year, we've been praying and thinking and working really hard. We have a team of people who have been turning over every stone. But to be honest, the picture has been bleak. We realize that finding a suitable place to move into or land to build on was honestly financially out of reach for us. But we have remained persistent in prayer and faith. And I have to be honest, my faith has waned here and there. I've, I've freaked out a couple times, had some sleepless nights. Where are we going to go? But God has continued to bring me back to this idea, wait. Wait and see, just like the psalmist. Wait for the crown of bounty. I have been generous and I will continue to be generous. And so that is where I've been living, especially the past few months. I've been pretty calm, waiting to see what God would do. And we think that it's possible that he has opened up that thing. And so I'm excited to tell you about an opportunity that we have. A few months ago, we learned of a place just up the road here, a building right off of Route 21 that was the right size, the right place, in the right condition. And amazingly, and I mean that word um, intentionally, amazingly, it was in our price range. And so we made an offer two weeks ago, and it was accepted. Let's put a picture up. Can you put that picture up? So you may have seen this building before. It's not the greatest picture in the world. My daughter, when we drove up to it the first time, she said, it's very bland. (laughs) And that's true. But underneath it, what it is, is more than we could have asked for. So here are some stats. You can go to the next slide. The building itself is 12,600 square feet. 
It's on approximately about 1.8 acres of land. It's all steel construction. That's very important because it means that there is a large area in the very back of it from behind the building that is wide open. It goes up 40 feet with no beams in the middle. It is hard to find a suitable facility for churches. This is perfect for our worship space. Here's a map of the location. You can just see it. It's just literally just a mile up the road or so. 25 Orchard Hill Road. So it's right behind the police station and right in front of the AAA building. We have a lot to be thankful for. God has provided for us generously and I think that He will continue to do so. Now I do need to... Offer up some caveats just as we are talking about this. The first thing is that this is not a done deal. We've only just begun the process to determine if this is the right facility. We think it might be. This is the best opportunity we have had really ever since we've moved here. And so we're going to continue down this path. We're looking into architects. We're going to do all of our due diligence. We have a lot of amazing people working on this. Tim Adler especially. If you ever see him, he's on vacation. He really needed it. He has been working tirelessly on this. Okay, the second thing is this. So this building is currently occupied by Legends Gymnastics, a gymnastics company. They've been there for many, many years. And so listen, if we buy this property, then they're going to have to find a new place to move to. I don't know what that means for them, but all I can ask is that you be discriminate and respectful as you talk about this with other people. It is important that we get into our facility, but it is just important that our name and reputation stay good in this community. Okay, here's the last thing. Please keep praying. Please keep praying. There are so many details to work out, and the members of this church will be voting on this soon, whether or not we should, we should jump, jump into this. This is a huge endeavor. We do not know if this is the right place when we need God's wisdom, but we cannot pass up this opportunity to thank God for his provision. It has taken longer than we have, would have wanted, but God knows best. If you have questions about any of this, now is the time to ask. We don't know everything, but we can give you some answers. So come talk to me. Come talk to Scotty. Tim, don't talk to him now when he gets back. Go ask him questions. Dave Rickers also. Okay, I'm just going to end with one last thing, and it's just a story. It's a funny story that goes along with this. So I got the email that said everything was good with the contract, the initial contract to purchase. Two Fridays ago, August 28th, I was sitting at Panera, and, I, and the email came in, and I had to make arrangements to meet with the parties involved to sign the contract. I was the signer. And I'm not kidding, it was right then that my kidney stone tried to kill me. Somehow, I drove myself to the hospital. My wife met me there, and I told her, right when I saw her, that we somehow have to sign the contract. I have to do it. It expires today. And so Tim Adler and the other party involved flew into action, and they literally brought the contract to Holy Family Hospital, and I signed it on a gurney. Friends, we have so much to be thankful for. Look at your life. Look what God has done for you. Look what has been provided to you through Jesus Christ. And praise him. Before we go to communion, let's pray together. 
But thank you, great God, and you are truly and foundationally generous. We have not always seen you work, but we know, looking back on our lives, that you've always been there. We have not always understood why you have kept your hand at times and given so profusely at other times. But I pray that we would be able to see with new eyes this morning, that the scales would fall and that we would know you as truly generous, that all that you do for us is out of your love, that all, for you, all you do for us is your generosity towards us. God, money is hard. Many of us need to repent over the ways that we have spent, over the ways that we have handled our resources. Help us. God, also, would you give us great strength and security? Many of us are struggling with our finances. They are not a place of peace for us, but anxiety, frustration, fear. Meet us where we are, O oh God. And God, for this people collectively, I pray, I pray that we reflect your great gospel in becoming generous. You have been so generous to us with the very blood of your Son, now that we may be generous to this world. May we rise up together, arm in arm, to take this on. To take this on to buy this building. To increase our ministry potential. To bring the gospel further into unreached, hardened communities in the world. Oh God, use us. And may it ultimately be for our joy. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.